Welcome to the Mindful Medicina Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette Daniels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. And joining the conversation today is my friend and colleague, Janelle Hartman, lymphatic and colon hydrotherapist, esteemed yoga teacher of teachers, and the co-producer of this show. Today is an opportunity for you to get to know your hosts. I'm Dr. Jeanette Daniels. And I'm Janelle Hartman, the co-host. This episode, we had some fun. We were interviewing each other, um, bringing out some of our biography with some silly questions and some serious questions that were chosen randomly from bags. Yeah, it got real fun and it lasted a long time. We went over two hours and so we decided to chop these up into segments so that uh, you can have a little bit of fun with us here along the way. We'll pepper these in. Um, We had a great time doing it. I hope that you enjoy getting to know us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what accomplishments in your professional life has brought you the most satisfaction? That one's a tough one because it's going to be multi-layered for me. So there's the personal satisfaction and then the satisfaction that I get as a doctor. Mm -hmm. And they're separate for me. Yeah. So for me, as a purpose in life is to inspire people to be better versions of themselves. And in that way, I am satisfying a dharma Mm -hmm. and feeling a sense of worth because worth is a part of, you know, my life lessons that I've had. And so I feel I find my value in, in helping other people to be inspired. As far as the doctor piece goes that's more related to being successful with acquiring knowledge while at the same time being able to think outside of the box Mm -hmm. with the knowledge that I've acquired. Mm -hmm. So can I sit and can I memorize information and then share that, but at the same time realize that sometimes the answers are wrong, the books are wrong, Mm. and how can I be open to medicine that is not in the books. Mm -hmm. So I love when I can help a person uncover the answer for themselves that are not found in the textbooks, basically. Mm -hmm. So in, in that way, they're empowered. Mm-hmm. to be doctors to themselves. So that's what I love the most, is how can I help you to get to the answer yourself so that you can doctor yourself? Excellent. I believe that um, in my professional life, finding my voice as a teacher has been the, the greatest accomplishment because it really, I, I had an understanding of my capacity and what I wanted to offer to the world uh, the things that I wanted to empower people with, I really feel that 
knowledge is power, especially when I can teach folks to care for themselves. We have a very similar similar values in that way, like lifestyle and just connecting folks to the knowledge and the wonder of their bodies so that they can use discernment and their own intuition to be able to help themselves, you know, not to be always reaching outside. You know, what can you do for yourself? And I had a firing squad level fear of speaking in front of people. Um, I would cry in the bathroom before I would teach yoga classes. I um, had some, um, I was on the threshold of learning to be a colon hydrotherapist and and I just always felt like I wouldn't be able to find the words to speak to people. And so I ended up um, joining Toastmasters, which is a public speaking organization. <laughs> and I spent six years um, learning how to communicate. And I they say that Toastmasters and, and that process of communicating in that certain way is leadership training. And that's what I found, was I found leadership. I found my, my voice as a leader. And a leader is, to me, very much just a servant and a teacher. And um, there's a humility to leading that's not a power dynamic. It's actually very, um, really sh- bearing a lot of responsibility, being willing to hold space in a way of, you know, that you're, you're actually allowing people to rely on you in a certain way, right? So that you can teach them to rely on themselves. So for me, um, finding my voice was a huge accomplishment. And when I moved into the position of actually training teachers and turning around and teaching them how to find their voices to communicate, um, I think there's a moment of redemption when we go through periods of pain and and tribulation and our own obstacles, that all of that pain is redeemed when we're actually able to help people through that same thing. So that has been a, something that's brought me a lot of joy. And that's an, a professional accomplishment that I, I hold the most dear. All right. So our game is going pretty well so far. Wouldn't you say we got one down? Yeah. So it's your turn to choose from our silly bag. We literally have a bag that has silly written on it. <laughs> Can you hear that crinkle, crinkling as she pulls our question randomly? Okay. Here is our silly question. If we held a talent show <laughs> and you had five minutes to show off, what would you do? It's <laughs> a good one. So it would have to be uh, slam poetry <laughs> performance. When I was in medical school, we had a no talent show <laughs> because none of us had time to do anything but study. So it was named the no talent show. And I did several talent, no talent shows uh, doing some slam poetry because I do love to write and sort of play rapper and perform on stage. <laughs> so that, that's what I, I would do to show up. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what would I do? I would probably, I'd probably do five minutes of, I, do, I think I have a pretty tight five with stand-up comedy. Like, I, I think I've just kind of been writing, writing my stand-up comedy monologue <clears throat> for years now, and I think if I had five minutes, I could probably just rock it out. Um, I have had a little experience with it. Uh, just a formally mentioned Toastmasters. They have humorous speech contests, and it's basically like five to ten minutes of uh, a comedy bit. Your goal is to make people laugh, and that's that's part of the contest. And I would come in second. I never won first place, but that's pretty good. Came in second a few times. Um, 
And uh, being a colon hydrotherapist, um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of material there. Indeed there are. <laughs> Working around people and poop, there's going to be some laughs. So I'm my tight five. That's what I'd give for the talent show. Well, you're very quick <laughs> and very witty. Thanks. Part of your intelligence. Mm. So okay. now it's your yeah. turn. It is my turn to, to choose. Draw some serious bags. So, so serious. Okay, there's a serious question. Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I grew up on Whidbey Island. Uh, I grew up a couple of miles from Deception Pass, about six miles outside of Oak Harbor, which is where the Naval Air Station is. And my family ended up there because my folks both grew up on little farms in Kansas and my dad wanted to be a dentist. And so he got the GI Bill and he joined the Navy and he was uh, able to Get, we got stationed over um, Whidbey Island, but it was before he finished school. He wanted to be a pediatric dentist, so he still was going through that part of schooling. And so we got a beautiful house in Deguala Bay up on the hill built for $40,000. That's my, <laughs> I'm always marveling when they tell me that. $40,000 for this big, huge, beautiful house. Um, and we're there for just a little bit. I was born in Oak Harbor. And then when I was two, we went to Lincoln, Nebraska for a couple of years. My dad finished um, his, um, his pediatric dentistry. He was working in the clinic and doing all that. And then we came back. And I got to grow up there because um, they certainly didn't want to let go of, you know, the dentist. Like, they, that was, I don't think a whole lot of people were. <laughs> they had a nice clinic, but I think a children's dentist was pretty precious. So I got to grow up on Whidbey Island, a beautiful place. And... Um, when I was a kid, uh, it was lots of cute little mom and pop stores. And I remember when the Walmart came, it did what a lot of, you know, what Walmarts do to a lot of little towns. And all of a sudden then, you know, over the decades, we have a lot of strip mall franchise shops. So when I go to Whidbey Island, I usually just kind of hang at home. Don't spend a whole lot of time in Oak Harbor. Um, but that's where I grew up and I loved it. You know, it was a, it was a great place. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a lot, a lot nicer than where I grew up. Um, I grew up in LaSalle Projects mm. in Buffalo, New York. In the, I guess, uh, of what you would call the Caucasian projects, uh, about a mile down the road there was the um, African-American projects. So they segregated us back in those times. And uh, it was our whole universe, just that little street, Blum Street in Buffalo, New York. And uh, we were pretty sheltered, you know, from the world. And um, it was it was full of apathy, but at the same time, we, we seemed to find some fun in there as kids. We had a lot of friends, you know, that we continued to stay in contact with for some time. And it's always been interesting to see what happens to people after they grow up in the projects. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. I have yet to be back to visit in over 15 years. Do you still know any of those people? Oh, I haven't talked to them in quite a while. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to get back there. And um, my goal is to ask the person or people living in 93 Blum if I can do a walkthrough. Mm. 
there's a lot that happened in that house, and uh, mm. I think it would be pretty cleansing for me to to do a walkthrough. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Hmm. Ready to get silly? Let's, silly? Let's get silly. Okay, here we go. Crinkle, crinkle. Random question. Oh, I'm excited. I love these silly questions. <laughs> it's your very last meal. What's on the menu? <laughs> now, this is an interesting question because there's, there's two ways this could go. Like, I, I believe that death is, a, and it's an amazing threshold. I'm looking forward to it. It's a, a passing into the next place. The, I'm excited about that journey. And, you know, I'd like to be as conscious as possible. May not want to have a, a bellyache, you know, but also about to lose this physical body. So <laughs> if the... The really yummy answer makes this physical body not so happy. If I were going to keep living, you know, I probably wouldn't want to eat this. But I'm going to go with this one. I was thinking about this the other day. I was actually dreaming about it. I went to Maine once, Portland, Maine, and I had a lobster roll. And it was just on this fresh-baked, fluffy, yeasty bread. And, you know, it's the lobster with the mayo and all the yummy spices they put in. I think they might have even used, like, creme fraiche or sour cream. And the crunchy, like crunchy celery. And it was just like so much, it was like a ball of white food that was like the most heavenly thing that I had ever had. <laughs> I just think about that as like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good last meal. And I mean, if, if we're just like, go, if we're just like riding the ship down, I might have like a vanilla milkshake along with it. More white stuff, you know, just like have a big white fest. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There we go. Might dip some fries in that milkshake. I don't know. Let's get weird. We're about to go, you know? <laughs> getting a migraine thinking about know, it. Right? Totally. My gut's a little bit like, you're not really, really going to do that, are you? <laughs> feel my stomach turning a little bit like you're kidding, right? <laughs> it's okay, girl. Ooh, it's okay. <laughs> it's terrible to think that like your last meal is going to be something that's unhealthy, right? Like, I know, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know. And then it gives, I could give some pretty nice answers to what could help me cross-consciously, and I might take that option, you know, but uh, sure was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> I never thought about that, cr- crossing over with, like, clean, clear bowels. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Leaving the shit behind in this life. <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty torn between the two meals for me because my favorite food is Indian food. Mm. And I sure do miss sog paneer. Mm. Because, I mean, Ooh, yeah. just the flavor combination, but it's got dairy. <laughs> and I don't do dairy. And so I'd be torn between that meal and then good old buffalo pizza. And rings. <laughs> It'd be a toss-up for me. Mm-hmm. You could have one on the, you could have it on the side. I mean, would you be able to just take them both down or what? Can I just cheat and have a buffet? <laughs> It's got Indian, Italian, and everything that gives me migraines. Because I'll be in so much pain, I'll be excited to go. (laughs) Totally, you're like, okay, let's wrap it up. Like, I have a migraine, just pulled plug. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, and I think for me, dessert would be uh, chocolate, chocolate chip ice cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, that was fun. Oh, that was fun. All right. Okay, let's do the serious question. Serious bag. (laughs) 
Okay, influential books. Mm. All right, well, I would say for me, the one book that I think all human beings should read is On Love and Loneliness by J. Krishnamurti. Mm. That book, that one I read after a breakup. I don't remember which one. <laughs> but it was really imperative and important for me because I was in a severe depression about the breakup. And I was able to recognize that loneliness was something that happens on the 3D plane. Hmm. I was also able to recognize that perhaps I wasn't even loving my partner because so many of us love from the egoic plane. Yeah. Whenever we say, my girlfriend, my husband, my child, there's this sense of ownership that comes with that and a false sense of security that that relationship brings you that makes you feel belonged to. Mm -hmm. But what really is more true is that Everybody is borrowed. Yeah. And that we all belong to each other. So there was nothing lost. Hmm. It's such an incredible book. Hmm. I had actually suggested someone I met in the tea house was asking me what I was reading at the time. And uh, he said, well, I'm about to go rock climbing by myself for about a week or two, and I need a good book. When he came back, he said that he laid at the bottom of the mountain reading this book and he couldn't shut the book. So mm. that would be my recommendation, mm -hmm. a book that hit me to the core. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's interesting because my answer to that is also um, really diving into the, the yogic tradition as well. It's um, Bringing Yoga to Life by Donna Farhi. And it's this... Um, just an incredible work where she talks about the entire journey, life in its entirety, with you know all of the ups and downs using the major aspects of yoga philosophy to just really land those Eastern concepts into our Western lives and really um, just goes into a lot of shadow work um, helping us to recognize where we have these expectations and what the anatomy of those expectations about what the practice is like, what our life should be like, um, our attachments, our aversions, the fear of death, you know, uh, what we identify with, our sloth, our laziness, um, where true motivation comes from, how to begin to cleanse the mind um, and really holding close the concepts of yoga and over and over again, like she'll, t she'll go through this arc of speaking about many different aspects of life and take one yogic concept and show how it is applied to everything. So from the ethical branches of the yamas and niyamas into the kleshas, which are like the five sources of, of distortion and fear um, into the principles of, you know, of how to begin to train the mind um, and, I, I feel like some of the things you mentioned in this book too, she touches in on 
human relationships and where those distortions can can come in and start to cloud our connection to one another and to union itself. Um, and she has this this poetic prose and um, paints these word pictures. You know, people who use metaphor and um, and analogies just so skillfully can just really unite the right and left brain. And it's one of those books that I could give to anyone, whether or not they know anything about yoga. It would all be, it's like if you knew about those those precepts and you read this book, it would make them come to life. And if you knew nothing about them, you you would still, She was. she's extracting everything that you need to know. And so it just makes all of those things come to life. So these fancy Sanskrit words don't even matter. It's like, these are the concepts and the principles. Um, I use it in the trainings that the yoga teacher trainings, it's one of the required readings. And um, boy, I'll tell you when we get together as a group and we digest and talk about it, there's just often tears. And I will point out how powerful the written word is where it's just ink on a piece of paper. And yet this ink on a piece of paper can change your life and make you cry. And it's magic. And I feel like she is a magician. And it's a, a book that I've read over and over again in different phases of my life. And it's and it just keep, it's a different book every time. You know, it just keeps transforming. So that's a that's a great one. Um, and of course, you know, gosh, influential books. We just picked the first ones that came the, came to our head, like the big one. That could be a whole episode itself, right? <laughs> These books, but that's the one that I wanted to to highlight and recommend. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, when I was a kid, you couldn't get me to read a book. <laughs> I just always <laughs> wanted to be playing some sport. Yeah, and I remember the teacher. I think I was probably in fifth grade. Had said, you know, for every book that you read, you get an extra credit point on your test, your next upcoming test. <laughs> so I cleverly went to the library and I got every toddler book that was, you know, big words and oh, only a few pages. And uh, you had to write down every book you read. And I read a hundred books, <laughs> like infantile toddler books that were... <laughs> this is not surprising. Like five words in the book. <laughs> like check. And I got it a hundred and... A hundred and I don't know what it was on the test, but I definitely got an A. There you go. But I cheated my way. <laughs> You're like, I did what you said. Okay. I do love reading. I do love reading now. Uh, I did take a hiatus after medical school because I was so exhausted from studying mm, that yeah. I didn't even want to read a text message. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think just like reading a book is such a great way to, you know, to train our brains and concentration too. I mean, it's, it's just, there's so much distraction and the capacity to concentrate, I think is something that's really atrophying. And um, so just sitting and allowing your attention to be one pointed on anything um, that's just not being spoon fed into your eyeballs or your ears where you're actually processing, like data processing, (laughs) I think is really valuable. There's, it's like, it's very nutritious in that way to read. Read those physical books. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But boy, there can be fatigue after school, like like all of those books I can imagine. You're just, you just Yeah, know? it was uh definitely overload. Mm-hmm. And you probably remember only one third of what you've read. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm happy to not have to be tested on a hundred books anymore. <laughs> it's always much nicer to just study on your own accord. Right. I love learning, but 
school really is sort of an indoctrination. Here's what we want you to read. Here's what we want you to think. Mm-hmm. Here's what you, we, we need you to regurgitate to us. Mm-hmm. And so it takes the joy out of reading in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to be able to choose the books that I want to read now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. soon I'll write my own. Yeah. <laughs> Counting on that. Okay, let's move All to... Right. Silly. Get a good one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what are you really bad at that you'd like to be great at? Okay. Okay, here we go. So I am really bad at singing, and I would really love to be able to sing. Mm. I have never done, ever done karaoke <laughs> because there's no alcohol amount in the world that would get me up there because then I would just sound worse. I think it's because you could, would never come down off the stage. Oh, <laughs> I think if you get a taste of it, I think you'd be cooked. You're like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, maybe I could get away with some rap because that's more of talk style. For sure. But yeah, if I could, if I could do one thing better, I would love to be able to sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And you? You know... <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's several things I'm really bad that I'd like to be good at. Um, I would say um, like just being really good with numbers and accounting and math. Like I just my I, my brain never quite wrapped itself around you know like um, being able to calculate numbers and the mathy stuff in in my brain. Um, I. Over and over again, I remember my mom was so kind and so patient with me. And she had, um, you know, she had helped teach younger kids in a one-room schoolhouse when she was growing up. You know, the older kids taught the younger kids. And my mom, you know, she just was, she's a whiz with stuff like that. So she'd get out this giant whiteboard and we would do my homework on the whiteboard. And we would just, so that we would do it over and over again until seemingly I understood, especially algebra. Okay, that was what really, that was like the, mm. um, and and I'd be, I'd be like, okay, I think I got it. Take the test, fail the test. Devastation. Eventually, I got moved into what's called consumer math, which was taught by the shop teacher in the wood shop. <laughs> oh <my laughs> and we were using mathematics to build things. And, and I was great at it then, if you can apply it to like measuring stuff to build. And like, so I know that it's in there somewhere, but as far as just like, you know, like, Processing that stuff, you know, um, the finer points of, I don't know, left brain math section. See, I don't even know what to call it. That department's a little atrophied. Anyway, that'd be nice. I've been able to live without it. I get by. But, yeah. you know, it'd be great. I mean, algebra <laughs> almost kept me from going to med school, to oh, be honest. Yeah. I remember uh, because I have a, a bachelor's degree in um, psychology. And so I had to go back to get a bunch of prereqs just to apply to medical school. And I had to pass a certain, you know, level of math, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to algebra and had to have tutoring. I was in tutoring, like, almost every day after school. <laughs> and I think I got out of there with a C minus. Boy, mm-hmm. I was sweating bullets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What got me were the word problems. And it's oh, a yeah. total reflection of the, you know, the schooling that I had gone through mm-hmm. in, you know, being in the projects. Mm-hmm. 
just the all of those types of um I guess what you say left brain you know skill set you know the aptitude things mm-hmm. were a little bit more challenging yeah you know where we grew up so yeah I would also jump on that bandwagon and say I'd love to know math too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know enough to make sure I'm dosing my patients properly. Yeah, exactly. We got, we got this. We got this safe level of math. I know how to do <laughs> addition and subtraction totally. and division. You know, I know, and I'm in the kitchen. I can like I can do conversions and do all that stuff all day long. Like you know, sewing, crafting. I can if it's applied to that. I'm good. But yeah, you know. if Johnny started with a bushel of apples, which had twenty, I do. <laughs> You know what it is? I get bored. I'm like, I don't care what Johnny has. I'm going to work out. (laughs) Johnny should have known better than to give his apples away. (laughs) I just, yeah, Yeah. I think a part of it is just it's a little bit boring. Yeah, You know, there's no emotional connection to it for Mm -hmm, me. And mm -hmm. the way that I learn the best is something stimulates me emotionally. Yeah. It's amazing to hear people talk about how they they think that math is so stimulating. They'd be like, boring, what are you talking about? Isn't it just amazing? Like just Uh different brain constitutions, you know? Like absolutely. All right. (laughs) More power to them. You 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 and Johnny can (laughs) (laughs) you could do our accounting for us. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So enough silly, right? Yeah. Is it my turn again? Let's get a little serious. Okay, we're gonna get serious. God. Please be serious for a second. Oh, this is a good one. Name a few of your successful daily habits other than showering, brushing teeth, etc. Okay, I'll name a few. Um, I really, like one of my favorite sources of strength is routine. So I'm a very routine person. I get up at about 4 a.m. every day. (laughs) And I... I sit up in my bed and I do some pranayama. And then um, I like, you know, whatever I need to, affirmations or set some goals, have, have some talks with God. And, and then I'm into movement, do some movement, um, whether it be yoga or, or heading to the gym. Um, I, there's a, I like these really awesome, these awesome 5 a.m. classes that are kind of CrossFit uh, inspired. Uh, and you know, you just love the 5 a.m. crew. It's always the same people because there's no randos at 5 a.m., right? So I just love this crew of folks. Um, other than that, I'll do yoga at home, you know, on the days that I'm kind of resting. Um, every other day, I get in my sauna and then I go to the gas station and get bags of ice and fill up my bathtub and I do um, ice baths and I do infrared sauna ice baths. That's a pretty damn good habit. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think that those are some of my major <laughs> major good ones. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to top that. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to bed when you're getting up. <laughs> Five o'clock makes me itch. Like just you're squirming in your chair I'm right like now. I'm totally squirming right now. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, let's see. So uh, the very first thing that I do when I wake up is go, holy shit, I didn't die in my sleep. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. You have a gratitude practice right away. I so do. I'm like, I just wake up and I'm like, oh my God, my heart beat, my lungs were inhaling, exhaling without my instruction. It's a good damn day. So so that's nice, gratitude, that I open my eyeballs um, and I make my bed every day. That's a must. I don't do anything before that happens. It's... uh, 
I don't know what it is. It just sort of, uh, it's like I'm, I'm putting the bed to rest. Is, it's, a, it's interesting. I'm getting up and I'm putting the bed to rest. So it's a weird <laughs> I like that. It's actually great. <laughs> you know, and That's then good. I open the curtains and pray to God it's sunny in Seattle. Uh, one out of ten times, I'm happy that it is. Uh, and I'd say that How do you deal with your grief if, when you see the other nine times? <laughs> Why do I live in Seattle is the statement that comes to mind. <laughs> um, so, and then I am a really, um, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a really great dental, like, hygiene person. Mm. So I'm scraping my tongue and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's, for me, it's, the routine is just being grateful when I wake up in the morning um, having a pot of tea, putting out a positive podcast. My work requires a lot of energy output, so I start my day slow, and I start my day in parasympathetic tone. Mm-hmm. And I have to break fast with something light, mm-hmm. and so I'll do a nice smoothie with protein and greens and collagen, and that's almost always how I break fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I'm off to work. You know, for me, I have probably more routine at night mm-hmm. because I'm a night person. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sweet, that's it. Yeah, routines. I think the, one of the most most healing things, really. You know. That consistency and whatever it is, and, and whenever it is, you know, yeah. for you, it's just little and often, and revisiting and ritualizing, you know, I think is really a key. Yeah, I wake up two hours before I have to be anywhere because I don't want to feel rushed. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because to me, it feels like it's in the not doing. In the morning, mm-hmm. that is my routine, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You make space. Just quiet. Yeah. And having the tea. Yeah. And prepping for my patients. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and listening to a great podcast. I definitely don't put the news on. <laughs> <laughs> Jank your flow. <laughs> so, yeah, I think for me... It's in the not doing in the mm. morning because after that, I'm go, go, go. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. That's when I see you, when you show up and then, at work. And then and I'm like, she's going. I'm, the, I'm yeah. Energizer <laughs> bunny. <laughs> okay. All right. What have we got next? All right. Silliness. A little more silliness here. Oh, this is a good one. Which fictional TV family would you like to be a part of? Oh, let me tell you. She, <laughs> she knows. Little House on the Prairie, oh, The Wilders. You're such a good person. I, oh, I, I just want to, Pa, what are my chores? Like, what are, I what are we doing? totally see that. Oh, my God. All the way. I, I read, I would, up, I would stay up all night with my flashlight under the covers reading that series of books over and over again. The show, love the show. And I'm like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a hard time with that question because I also wanted to say Little House on the Prairie. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Could you imagine us showing up and Pa sees our muscles and he's like, oh, we're building a barn. I you know. know. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. That's awesome. Yeah. It could also be a movie family. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, a television show family. I think for modern day uh, times, I would have to go with the Gilmore Girls. Uh-huh. I just love their <laughs> yeah. sense of humor. Yeah. Just so light. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> not much family though, right? Uh, yeah. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. You've got mom and the daughter and oh, the grandparents who are weird mm-hmm. and distant uh, but yeah so and then now you have Jeanette <laughs> welcome to the family <laughs> I know yeah that was a tough question I, I had a tough a tough time with some of these questions for sure because I don't know that I resonated in this in this case I don't know that I resonate with any family I don't know if there's a family that I would be like oh that one seemed healthy and functional, and because that's what I'm looking for, right? And so TV doesn't give you that. They don't give you the healthy, functional family. Totally. So I want that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I was like, "Oh, Little House of the Prairie." They come to the, the prairie. Most healthy. We can. To me. We can be. We can. <laughs> this is. <laughs> we can both be. We can both be part of the family. Yeah, let's I'm sure do it. We're going to be sisters. Yeah. In the in the next life. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's do some... Uh, let's Back do to serious, and Jeanette is the chooser. The choosy chooser. How did your early environment influence you? Okay. Well, that would take me about 30 minutes. Let me streamline this into two categories. One was obviously in the home, Mm-hmm. And the other one was outside of the home. Mm-hmm. So within the home was a situation where there were five of us, five kids, and my sister and I were from a different mother. So what ended up happening is that, you know, you're in the projects, that's that's hard enough. And then add to that, you're with a woman who is is not your mother, which would be fine if the person was kind, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, there was a bunch of abuse going on. So it was, I think I probably walked through my childhood holding my breath and uh, feeling that I wasn't enough or wanted so the inner environment I felt really affected me in regards to where do I fit in? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't feel like you fit in within the family, then how do you fit in outside of the family? Mm-hmm. So then I would go to school, and then I was very shy and timid and introverted because I was being abused at home. So then I was sort of, kind of like a wallflower, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and just sort of observing and, and kind of feeling I don't belong here either. The thing of it is, is that my preference was to be at school because it was worse at home. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of I don't want to be at school and I don't want to go back home 
So it created, it created in me a desire to want to find my own home. And I sort of feel like, you know, there are some people who feel like they've been <laughs> abducted by aliens. <laughs> you know, I don't fit in anywhere. So there was that feeling of that. But when it came to how do I, how do I use this, how do I use this not fitting in at home or at school and, and change that, well, I've decided that it's okay to fit in everywhere and nowhere. Mm -hmm. And there's a really interesting experiment that happened in school when I was probably around, I don't know, in fifth grade. And again, I was shy, timid, very mousy, which is the opposite of what I am now. Mm -hmm. And the teacher probably chose me because I was so mousy. But he, he told me to go wait in the, in the hall, and then he would come get me, and I'd come back in. So all the while, I don't realize they're doing some social experiment. So I come back in the room. I sit down. There's like 50 kids. It was a big class. And on the whiteboard, there was a pretty large square and then a small square and the teacher just simply asked the question, is square A bigger or is square B bigger? And everybody, he said, okay, so go ahead and raise your hand if it's square A. And everybody, you know, raised their hand to, to the one that was smaller. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking around the room going, how do these people think that square is bigger? That's clearly smaller. And this class is looking at me and waiting for me to respond. So I started in a nanosecond imagining and being, getting creative. How can the small one be bigger? I wanted in my mind to make it so that I could agree with them. Mm -hmm. So... I went through all these possibilities of how this is bigger than that. And, oh, my gosh, I raise my hand, and the whole entire class starts laughing at me, including the teacher. And he said, now, see, this is how it works. You'll have people who will conform to the masses, even though the truth is right in front of their eyes. And it was in that in being hu humiliated that I said, I am never, ever going to just agree to the group or the masses to fit in. Mm -hmm. See, again, I'm trying to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, my God, even when I'm trying to fit in, you know, it's, it's, it's working against me because I'm not being true to myself. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was such a profound experience to have at such a young age and sort of interesting to see a teacher do that to a child, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that was such a big, pivotal moment for me that influenced who I became, mm -hmm. and that was I am not going to just go along to get along and to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Wow. <sighs> that was amazing. 
<laughs> How did my, what does the question say again? How did your early environment influence you? Um, say that I grew up in a family um, that had, from Kansas, grew up in Kansas, they had like small town values um, and uh, family didn't have much money. My mom was uh, a med technologist. She was working as a med tech while my dad was finishing the, um, the pediatric portion of his dent- dentistry training. And um, I, one of the things that I did remember a, I, a lot of that influenced me now is um, when we were all together, we would play musical games. And even when I was... I remember being teeny-weeny. I was like two years old, and my dad was teaching me piano. And to the point where, I don't remember these, but there's pictures of me in recitals when I was like two years old, like playing piano. And I remember bonding with my dad doing that. Um, And and I was also a Montessori kid. And so I went to Montessori school in a big red barn, still um, in Oak Harbor. There's the Oak Harbor Montessori School. And Montessori... Um, was a, a system, if you're not familiar with it, that um, that children are allowed to kind of choose the activities that they want to participate in. And there's like a variety of activities that would represent things that would stimulate all the different parts of your brain. And you could choose um, to spend periods of time working on those things. And they would show you how to start and finish. That's what I really liked about it was that, you, you know, you have a variety of interests, but it's not just going with the small attention span of a child. Like if you start this project, you go through it, you finish it, which was included reading and, and writing and um, some basic math. Um, and so I learned that really, really early, which was lovely. But in my home environment, um, my folks, um, you know, went to church and I just remember loving he- hearing about Jesus and um, and the Bible stories and just the the, the ideal the idealistic nature of all of it uh, made a lot of sense to me. But then people were just kind of rotten. <laughs> it was a lot of hypocrisy. You know, um, I'm not anti-religion. I think that people make it weird, and it's it's based on some really beautiful wisdom traditions and awesome. Um, like some of the best parts of, of human evolution can come from that, um, but people make it weird. And so there was, um, I believe my parents were young Christians. They're, they're very reasonable now and just like really um, open, open-minded in a, in a balanced way. Um, but at the time, I think coming from Kansas and having that conservatism, there was a lot of restrictions. Um, like I wasn't allowed to listen to modern music and I've, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you get me obsessed with music and then you tell me I can't listen to a certain amount. I'm going to find a way to listen to that. And, but they said that, you know, um, older music was fine. And so they had both had extensive record collections and I would listen to a lot of old music. I would spend my allowance on records and I just got, I got kind of obsessed with older music because that's what I could openly listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just other other aspects of my life where there was restrictions, like you just, you know, this is something that we just don't do. We don't, and so it was my business to rebel and to do all the things that I was told not to. And um, I think that that my early environment had elements of. I mean, it was really amazing that I, when I look back, the container of morality that was there was really, really good for me because I just am somebody who is pretty naturally wild and will get myself in a lot of trouble, but I had some guidelines. <laughs> it's like, 
you can get in trouble, but you know, don't go over the cliff, you know. So I I feel like it it allowed me to um, see to question authority. It was one thing that that came up for me was questioning authority and um, finding out for myself. And um, you know, my curiosity was just really driven by perimeters that I had. So um, I have a lot of gratitude about growing up. I know that there was, you know, the my parents cared about each other. You know, my dad and my mom and dad are both hard workers, and they they taught that to me. Um, and uh, I know that um, as far as like consciousness goes that I have really helped them push the envelope and continue to do that. And, you know, we've maintained our friendship. Um, but my family was a really, really pretty harmonious. And I was the only problem in my family. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only problem. I was the, I was the door slamming, angry, rebellious, you know, where is she? She didn't come home last night. I was, that was me. And, um, but it was all really just a part of developing, um, an ability just not to go with the flow mm-hmm. and to find my own flow. And um, mm-hmm. turns out a lot of those things that, you know, my parents said, hey, you know, if you if you do this, it's going to be painful. Guess what? It was painful. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm glad that I, you know, was able to find those things out for myself, which was the only way I was ever going to find out about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, it just kind of helped me to expand and explore. and um, But have, you know, I was privileged, really privileged to have an intact family, Truly. So that was something that I, I, I'm eternally grateful for. I recognize as an enormous privilege. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's the definition of, of privilege for me in my life is just the, the family that I came from, the good peeps. They sound like they were very patient. Uh, yeah, I taught them that. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was their lesson from God. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> hope this conversation has empowered you. Remember, you are unique and you are a miracle. Your body doesn't make mistakes. It responds perfectly to an imperfect environment. Until next time, go get that life. <laughs>